You know, we talked about thankful this morning. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but uh, we've talked about, talked about thankfulness and contentment already. What an incredible thing that we have been given the Word of God. Like, just to ponder this for a moment, that He, in His greatness and in His all-powerfulness and in just His holiness, that He chooses to speak to you and me all the time. That anytime we want to talk to God, not only can we pray to Him, but we can pick up His Word and read it. We should be thankful for that. Sometimes, I know I'm guilty of this, sometimes we pray and we're like, Lord, speak, I need more. I need more. I need direction. I need more. And the whole time God's telling me, you have all you need, son. You have all you need. I've already spoken. I've already given it to you. Enjoy it. Use it. And I think of so many brothers and sisters around this world that would die for this and have died for this. And so uh, just uh, that kind of a little soapbox off of nothing else, but uh, just thankful for his word. Thankful for Joshua this morning. We've been looking at uh, chapters 14 through 19, and we're going to continue to look at those for a couple more weeks. But the idea here is that we've moved beyond conquest, right? And now we're into the settling part of Joshua, where they're setting up their homes and they're taking possession of the land. And we have two bookends to these chapters. In chapter 14 and chapter, at the end of chapter 19, we have two bookends. On one end, we have Caleb, and we see the faithfulness of Caleb to serve God, and he is given Hebron, and Hebron is up in the mountains. It's got giants living there, and Caleb is faithful, and he knows what God is asking him to do, and he goes and he accomplishes the task. And we see God's grace upon him in that. At the same time, at the end of chapter 19, we see Joshua. And Joshua has led this people well. He's led this people humbly. He's been brave. He's been wise. And at the end of chapter 19, we see that faithfulness rewarded. As Joshua takes the land that he has given, it's in a quiet little spot and kind of the kind of the woods of Israel, so to speak. And he goes in, and the Bible says that he worked and he built that, rebuilt that city so that him and his family could live there as part of their inheritance. So we have these two wonderful stories at the beginning, in 14 and in 19, of what it looks like to be a faithful servant to God and the reward of being a faithful servant to God. And then in the middle, in 17, and really throughout those chapters that are in between, we see these unfortunate stories of something quite different. Last week, we looked at Israel and their inability to complete the task. This morning, we look at one tribe in particular, really two if you split them up, that complain. It's a trap that we all fall into so very easily, that trap of complaining. And so this morning, if you would, would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? Not a long passage today, we're reading 14 through 18, but an important passage. It says, Then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance, although I am a numerous people, since all along the Lord has blessed me? 
And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest, and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Pezrites and the Rephim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. The people of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us, yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron, both those in Bethshean and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders. You shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we are indeed thankful for your word. Thankful for its grace. Thankful for its faithfulness, for its guidance. And Lord, we are even thankful, Lord, when, like this morning, it exposes us. It exposes our hearts. Lord, that we need reminders sometimes of things to be aware of. Things that impact our relationship with you and impact our relationship with others. And yet we're also thankful that your word does not just simply remind us of these things, but it provides grace and forgiveness and healing and salvation from these things. Father, I pray that this morning that we would listen well to your word, that we would, Lord, remove some of the calluses from our hearts, that we would hear it well, that we would apply it, that we would stand vigilant over a heart that sometimes desires the wrong things. That we would desire you instead. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Just to give you a little bit of background, we have, as I said earlier, come to the end of kind of the big battles, and now we are in the allotment portion of Joshua And if you even look back a little bit with me, you'll see in verse 16 that you have the allotment for Ephraim and Manasseh. You have uh, the two tribes of Joshua have already been given their land, um, each one to each. I'll also remind you that Manasseh had actually split into two, and now they had an allotment on the west side of the Jordan, and they had an allotment on the east side of Jordan. So really, you can make the argument that they had three portions. Kind of how we got here, though, if you don't know the story well, the tribes of Joseph obviously come from the man Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Israel, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Joseph had risen to prominence in Egypt, long story there, we're not going to go through that all, but while he's there, he has two sons. As his dad is on his deathbed, he brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to Israel, to Jacob, and asks for them to bless him, which Jacob does. He blesses his two grandsons, and what happens is they both grow in power and significance And what is found out in the desert as Moses, hundreds of years later, Moses is leading Israel. And what we find out is that Levi, the tribe of Levi, is going to become priest. 
their inheritance is going to be God himself. They're not going to have a land. But so that there are 12 divisions of land, Joseph is split into two, that Ephraim and Manasseh that we spoke of earlier. So as they come to Joshua here, the simple thing to understand is this. You have one lineage, but you have two tribes. And both of them come united at this point to Joshua, and they come with a complaint. Again, the, the big battles are over. Now it's a time for taking possession of the land. It's still a lot of hard work left, and, but the major things are over. The big enemies are gone. And so they come to Joshua, they, they hear their, of their allotment, and they come to Joshua, and they come with a complaint. And the complaint is in four parts, four, four aspects of this complaint. First, they come to Joshua, and it's the idea of, you have failed us. Why have you given me but one lot and one portion? Now, Joshua is a member of the tribe of Ephraim, so there's this concept, this idea of like, Joshua, you're one of us. You're supposed to take care of us. Like, I thought we had an agreement, just kind of like Rosemary. Like, hey, Dad, like, I'm special. Shouldn't I get more? The same kind of concept here, that the, that the tribes of Joseph think that Joshua is one of them, so surely he will show favor to them. And they've forgotten the words of Numbers 33, which we read last week, that says that you're to divide up the land. The big lots go to the big tribes. The small lots go to the small tribes. You're to cast lots. And wherever the lot lands, then that's the land you get. It was, it was a complete, uh, the system was designed so that favoritism could not be shown. And yet, that's exactly what the tribes of Joseph want. They want Joshua to show them favoritism. And they're, they're telling him, you have failed us. The second part of it is that they cry out, we're important. They say, we are a numerous people because the Lord has blessed us. I love that phrase there. There's a lot of things going on in that, in that little phrase. The Lord has blessed us. We're a numerous people. Joshua, don't you understand? Like, I'm important. I'm important. Like, and to prove it, to prove it, here are the numbers. To prove it, let me show you how many people are in my tribe. We have been blessed because we are favorite son status. Don't you get that? Don't you know how much we have done? We provided more soldiers. We provided more of the army. Don't you understand what we have accomplished? For you? So, where's the payback here, buddy? Where's ours? At the same time, notice that they say that the Lord has blessed us all along. If you read different versions, you might have a little bit different take on that. There's part of, there's one interpretation of that, one uh, translation of that's the word I'm looking for. One translation that, that fits a little better, it's up until this point. God has blessed us up until this point. 
So the idea here is that they're coming to Joseph or Joshua and they're saying, this is not enough for us and though God has blessed us in the past showing our importance, we're not sure it's going to continue in the future. We're not sure that he's going to keep his promise for later. So we got to get all of ours now. We got to get all of ours in this lot because we're not sure he's going to come through later. We're not sure he's going to keep his promise later. It's like the kid that gets the cookie and wants four of them because, heaven forbid, mom might forget how to make cookies. Mom might no longer want him to get cookies. So we got to get as much as we can right now. And so in this, there's, in this phrase, there's this whole thing about we are important, we've been blessed, but there's also kind of this slap in God's face of, but we don't know that we'll continue to be blessed. We don't know that you'll continue to come through. As part of this, it's this is not enough. We only have one lot. We only have one portion. What is that about? Do you not see how many people are? We don't have enough. We don't have enough. Joshua responds to this in a way that is full of grace. And we're going to get to that response in a minute. But the fourth part of the complaint really comes after the response, and but it's really, I think, in many ways, the heart of the complaint. It's that the work is too hard. Joshua responds to them and tells them, "Go clear the land. Like you've got land, just go clear it. Go cut down the trees. There's enough room for you there. Go into the plains. Like get rid of the rest of the inhabitants. Finish the job. Look at what Caleb has done. He." Caleb didn't come to me and go, ah, Hebron's a great place, but there's giants up there. I don't want to do that. He just did it. He says, go and finish the work. And their response is part of their complaint. Their response is, the work is too hard. We don't want to do that, Joshua. We don't want to have to clear the forest. And even if we did, it's not enough. We don't want to take on the people of the plains. They have chariots of iron. It's too hard. It's uncomfortable. We don't want to do that. I think this is, in many ways, the heart of the complaint. It's that they have forgotten what God has done. They have found themselves more important than anyone else, and they have decided that the work is just simply too hard. It's not what they want to do. So they're complaining to Joshua, give us something else. We know that this is the task set before us. We know that God has given us this land by lot, but that's not what we want. Give us something different. It's interesting that this complaint comes to Joshua, and Joshua responds with grace, but he responds very directly to them. It's in contrast to what we see a little bit earlier with the daughters of Zavolahad. The daughters there, they come to Joshua and they have, and you could, you could term it a complaint, but it's, hey, Joshua, do you remember Moses said that we were supposed to have an inheritance and God said that was what was supposed to happen? That hasn't happened yet. And Joshua and the priest Eliezer are like, oh yeah, we're sorry, here you go, here's what you need. That complaint, if you want to call it that, from those ladies was based on reality. It was based on a, hey, this is what the Lord has said, and we just want to make sure that that's followed through with. 
But they do it with, as far as we can tell, they do it with respect. They do it with not, not a complaining attitude, but just with a, hey, here's what's going on. We're just, how is this going to work out? This complaint is not based on reality, nor is it based on the Word of God. The reality is, is that they're in the promised land. <laughs> they're there. You remember the story of Israel. Israel as a nation, as a group, that they found themselves enslaved in Egypt. A big people, but a people that had no control over their own destiny, no ownership of their own homes. They were trapped under the thumb of the greatest nation in the world at the time with no hope. And yet God sends Moses, and God does incredible things, and he sets this people free. And he leads them into the desert and he makes a covenant with them that if they will follow him, that he will take care of them. He gives them manna from heaven. He gives them quail. He gives them water from the rocks. He protects them along the way. He guides them and directs them. They get to the promised land. They come through that, they come out of slavery. They go through this desert. They get to the promised land. They go into it, and the walls of Jericho fall down. Ai is defeated. The five kings at Gibeon are overtaken. The kings of the north that were as, had an army as numerous as the sand on the seashore and had chariots are overcome. And now they're in the promised land and they are taking possession. They are having homes. This group of former slaves and nomads are going to have houses. They're going to have cities with walls. They're going to have crops to harvest. They're going to have vineyards to take care of. They're going to have a place for their, their sheep and their, their oxen and all of the other livestock that they have. They have been given a home with boundaries and places. And yet, here is this tribe of Joseph saying, it's not enough. I want something different. Not only had, were they in the promised land and they'd forgotten what they'd already been given, but they already had enough. If you look at a map of what the allotments were, Manasseh has a huge allotment, especially when you add in what was already east of the river. And when you look at Manasseh's numbers alone, they're not that big. Judah was way bigger than they were. And yet when you add these two portions together, it's no comparison. When you look at Ephraim, Ephraim's a relatively small tribe. And yet, when you look at their land allotment compared to the other small tribes like Benjamin and Issachar and some of them, you're like, wow, they did pretty well. They already had enough. And that's what Joshua is trying to remind them of here. He's like, hey, you've, you've got this already. But maybe the greatest thing that they have forgotten, the greatest part of the reality is that they still had God. They say, well... They have chariots of iron. We can't possibly go in and take care of that. Since when have chariots been a problem for the armies of God? Even ones with iron. When you look through the book of Joshua, when you look through Judges, since when have chariots been a problem for God? Has he grown weaker? Has he grown inadequate? Has he changed his position? Not at all. 
His people have just simply forgotten who he is. His people no longer want to be dependent upon his work. They want to be dependent upon themselves. We never do that, right? (laughs) We never look at the work and say, it can't be done because I can't do it. And we're forgetting all the while that it is the Lord that goes with us and the Lord that does the work. We look at our culture and the people around us and they say, well, they can't be saved because I can't do it. Since when are you the one that saves? We forget who is with us. So they have this great complaint that's not based on reality, that's not based on the situation that they're in. It is all focused around them and what they want. And Joshua responds. Now, I want to be clear. When I first read this, I read it with such a more snarky attitude than I probably should have. Like when I read Joshua's response, there's a little bit of me that's like uh, reading into it. But I think Joshua's response is actually one full of grace. It's not always the answer of his predecessor, by the way. Moses at times did not respond with grace. In fact, I kind of laugh when you read through the story of Moses the farther you get, the more you realize that Moses is like every other human being, that he loses his filter the older he gets. I mean, you think about it, when he strikes the rock with water, like, that happens later in his ministry. Like, he's just fed up. He's like, okay, you people, like, I'm done. Joshua, here, late in his ministry, responds with grace. First, he encourages them and even supports them by saying, you are indeed blessed, friends. A couple of times he says here, you are a numerous people and you have great power. You are indeed blessed, tribe of Joseph. God has made you a numerous people when you're all added together. He has given you great power. He has given you great conviction. Like, you are right. You have been blessed. Not only that, but Joseph, why don't you take a look around? Tribes of Joseph, you are in the promised land. You have indeed been blessed. You've been given the hills. You've been given plains. That was not true, by the way, for every tribe. Not every tribe had both resources, both the wooded wooded hills and the plains. Not every tribe had that. He said, you have been blessed. Let me encourage in you in that. Not only that, but you have all you need. He said, you're a numerous people and have great power. Go yourselves to the forest and clear the ground. You can do this. Not only that, but he says, you will have more than one allotment. When you kind of read through that the first time, you're like, okay, is he saying that he, is he, Is he falling in line with him and saying, okay, yeah, I'll give you some more? That's not what he's saying. What he's reminding them of is, uh, you do have more than one. You do have more than one, Joseph. Have you forgot chapter 16 where we gave you each an allotment? Have you forgotten that half half of the tribe of Manasseh didn't even want to come over? That they're on the other side of the river? You, You do have more than one. Brothers, you have all you need. You are a great people. You have been blessed. You have the space you need. You have the resources you need. By the way, 
these people are building? The whole nation is building. What are they going to need? Trees. Who, do, who has the trees? Ephraim. Who do you think is going to get paid for the trees? Ephraim. Joshua is trying to help them to understand. You have all you need. You've been blessed. You have been put in a position of much. But he says you got to do the work. you got to do the work, friends. Like I know you guys have come to me. I know you want more, but it's all there. All the manpower you need is there. All of the land you need is there. All of the resources you could possibly want are there. But you're going to have to do the work. You're going to have to do the work. Sadly, the tribes of Joseph only hear part of this. We actually have evidence and archaeological evidence that they did indeed go into the hills and they cut down the forest and they began to terrace the hills. They certainly were not the inventors of terrace farming, but they certainly made it much more abundant than it had been previously. They got that part of the message. But we also know from judges that they didn't clear the plains. They didn't take care of the people with chariots. Again, we have this idea of just going part way, not finishing the task. It's kind of a sad comment here on the tribes of Joseph. They're complaining, their failure to finish the task. But it's one that that we are not unfamiliar with. It's our human nature. It's human nature that we can all be at times self-absorbed. There are times that all of us kind of get that attitude of that the world revolves around us, right? And I'm guilty of this at times. My opinions matter more than someone else's. My likes and dislikes revolve are more important than someone else's. God has blessed me. Do you not see the numbers? God has given me favor. Do you not see that I am important to him? Do you not see that I am loved by God? Therefore, I should matter more. I've accomplished much. Therefore, I should matter more. I've done more for you. Therefore, I should matter more. It should be my way. We can become self-absorbed. At the same time, we always want more. The attitude of keeping up with the Joneses, sorry, Joneses, has overwhelmed us, right? We want the better house. We want the better car. We want the better boat, the better fishing rod. We want the better technology. We want the better clothes. We want the better jewelry. We want the better family. We always want more, seemingly. We just can't have enough. We can never seemingly be satisfied. But not only do we want more, but we want it for less. We want more, but we want it for less. We don't want to have to do the work. We don't want to have to give up our time. We don't want to have to be inconvenienced. We want it to be easy. And this is true of the church as well. 
This is true of the church as well. We want the blessings of God. We want to see this place grow. We want to have the room full. We want to see people getting saved. We want to see ministry to families. We want all of those things, but we're not willing to do the work. Now, let me call time out just for a second. What I'm speaking here of is not necessarily hard physical work. Our church is full of people that are hard physical labor workers, hard workers, almost to the point of being workaholics. And I am thankful for that. (laughs) Maybe not the workaholic part, but I'm thankful for hard workers. So listen carefully when I say this. We're not afraid of hard physical labor. We're afraid of being inconvenienced. We're afraid of doing what's uncomfortable. We want a program. We want a magic bullet to cause revival. But we're not willing to do the inconvenient, uncomfortable part of revival. To pray, to repent, to invite people into our lives. We're willing to work hard, but not if it's not what we want to do. And sometimes God has laid a path before us that is clearly marked and it leads to the blessing that we want, but it's not the way that we want to go and we try to find different ways. God, I don't want to go this way. I want to go that way. God, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. God, I don't want to, I don't want to invest that. I don't want to give up that. I don't want to have to do that, so let me do this instead. We want more, but we want it for less. Praise be to God that he has grace. Praise be to God that he gives second chances and third chances, and I would be afraid to see how many chances he's given me. Thanks be to God that when we come before a holy and righteous God, that has blessed us beyond imagination with our complaints, that he doesn't just remove us from the situation, but that he has grace, that he is faithful to us. He could have caused a great deal of trouble for Joseph. Have you ever thought about that, the tribes of Joseph? Can you imagine what the other ten tribes must have thought when these two came forward and said, we don't have enough? Oh, really? You want to talk about not enough, boys? They didn't do that. God... I believe, kept the peace. He gives grace to them. He allows them to settle what he has given them. He allows them to enjoy it. So what shall we do then in light of this grace? What should we do in light of this human nature that we have? What shall we do when we desire to complain? None of these things are going to be surprising to you, by the way. First, let us remember our blessings. When we have the desire to complain, when we have the desire to be self-absorbed, when we recognize that we're starting to get off track, let us start by remembering our blessings. By the way, this is why testimony is so important. By being around people and, and reminding yourself every day of this is what the Lord has done for me. Let us remember our blessings. It's hard to complain when we're being thankful. Let us focus on the mission. 
The Lord has given us as a church the mission of making disciples, not one individual. It's not to, not to be just a pastor or a Sunday school teachers or spiritually blessed individuals. All of us are called on the mission of making disciples. And when we focus on the mission, it's amazing how much the other stuff gets left behind. Let us pray for the gift of contentment. Proverbs 3.25 says, The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. Philippians 4.11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 1 Timothy 6.6, we read this earlier, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take it nothing, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we had food and clothing with these, we will be content. Let us pray for the gift of contentment. Let us find contentment in him. And then lastly, know that he will be with you. One of the great tragedies of Joseph's, the tribes of Joseph's complaint is that they had forgotten that God was with them. They no longer trusted him to continue to bless, to continue to provide, to continue to watch over. Let us remember when we are tempted to complain when we are contempted, tempted to think that it's all about us, that we have to accomplish things, that he is with us. Hebrews 13, 1 through 6 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I think that whole passage is about learning to be content in him. Love, let brotherly love content, continue because we are content. We're not jealous of one another. We're not bitter towards one another because we are content in him. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because we understand that we have been blessed and so we want to bless others. Remember those who are in prison and those who are mistreated because we understand the grace that has been shown to us. So allow us to show grace to others. Let the marriage bed not be undefiled. Let us be content in our marriages, not seeking something on the outside that would satisfy us more but understanding the blessing that we've been given in our spouses and in our families. Let us be content in what we have because he has given it to us. And in all these, let us remember that he has promised never to forsake us or to leave us. Oh, that we would be satisfied and content in him resting on the promises of our Savior. This morning, friend, if you are here, brother or sister, if you are here and you have known him, that this morning this passage speaks to your heart and you say, like, I've, my heart has grown in a way that I don't want it to go anymore. It has grown a little bit bitter, a little bit jaded, 
It's gotten a little bit off focus. It's turned the spotlight on me instead of the spotlight on him. This morning, I have good news. He is faithful, and he is full of grace. If you will come to him and ask for forgiveness and say, Lord, I want to be content in you and you alone. This morning, if you are here and you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you are overwhelmed by a world that's saying you gotta keep up, you gotta have this and you gotta have this and you gotta have this. In order to be happy, you need to have this. If you, in order for you to find fulfillment, you've gotta have this and this has gotta be accomplished and you're overwhelmed and you're like, I can't do all of that. I have good news. I have good news. His invitation to you this morning is come all ye who are heavy burdened I will give you rest. You can find contentment in him who never changes, who never runs away, who never forsakes. You can find satisfaction in him who fulfills all things. If you will just follow him. If you don't know what that looks like, grab somebody. Grab me, grab somebody you know is a believer. They would be happy to tell you how you can follow him. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have a time of response. Let me pray with you. Father, we come before you and we confess. Lord, we confess as a church. We confess as individuals that there is a part of us that we're just complainers at times. Lord, we become self-absorbed. Lord, we we become self-important. Lord, we think that everything is needs to be the our way instead of looking to you and serving you and serving others the way you've called us to. That we look at the path you've given us and we say, that's, that's uncomfortable work. We don't want that. We want a different way, God. Father, I pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us when we come before a heavenly Father who has been so gracious and complained. Father, I pray that we would have that same grace that you've had towards us, towards others. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be satisfied in you and you alone, allowing all other things to fall away. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ.